Hey, thanks for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and to help you live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus has for your life. So let's pray. Let's commit this, these ministries to the Lord. And as we come to the Word as well, that the Lord will provide the, fun, the funds for His name's sake. Father, we want to pray and we want to bless you today. We want to say thank you for who you are and all that you've done. Thank you for the ministry of Transform Cambodia. Thank you for Centre 33, the centre that we've had for the last few years. And we pray these kids will grow. And we just saw the graduation of last year's Year 12 group. And, and we see the celebration, these, the, the poorest of the poor growing and maturing. And then that event, which was so beautiful. Father, thank you for the opportunity to partner with what you're doing across the earth. We thank you for what's happening in SRE and schools. We thank you for what's happening I mean, life get care too, and we pray your hand of blessing upon all of it. Help us to be wise with our giving, that you would speak, and that we would be generous. In Jesus' name. As we come to your word now, God, open our hearts and ears to hear from you. May you remind me of what I prepared. Open our hearts, prepare us for this. In Jesus' name. Amen? Are you ready for the word today? Here we go. Let's go. So a couple of years ago, I decided to run a marathon. And I've shared this with you before, yeah. Now, as a kid, I had the dream of running a marathon, and the, and the marathon is 42.2 kilometers, and it's the dream for runners. It's the, it's the pinnacle. And it's something, once you've done it, you can say, yep, I completed a marathon. Um, and two years, I did it. I decided, I'm, I'm just going to run it. It wasn't an event. I just went, I'm just going to run around the uh, local streets. Here's a picture of what I did. I ran from Padstow to Mopera and back three times, it's a 12-kilometer loop, and did a one-kilometer loop six times, and I finished in four hours and two minutes. Now, the problem was, is that I hadn't thought it through. Um, I'd been doing some five-kilometer runs, and then I did a 13-kilometer run, every, that, that one loop every, I don't know, every couple of weeks. And it was a Thursday night, and I was feeling pretty good, and I thought to myself, I think I'll run a marathon tomorrow. And so I did. I sent my wife to buy Powerade and bananas because I wanted to start early. And I did a loop and 12Ks in. That wasn't so bad. I ate a banana, had a Powerade. Second loop, not so bad. On the third loop, ooh la la, my legs, <laughs> my, legs, my legs started to cramp up and ache and pain. And by the last 10Ks, man, it was bad. I was like, what are they doing? And I sort of hobbled, hobbled, hobbled to the finish line and I completed it. And the reason I share that story is because I did, not, I did not think of the whole picture. I was thinking, I'm just going to complete a marathon, woohoo. But I didn't think about the, the amount of preparation needed. People normally run 5, 10, 20, even 30 kilometers leading up to it, and then they run the 42. I didn't do any of that. I didn't think about the pain. I actually damaged my ankle. It took one year to heal. I damaged my knee. It took one year to heal. Um, but I still completed the marathon. I still completed the marathon. And you know, you know, in life, I think some people get an idea or a dream or they see something without looking at the full picture. We, are, we are see it with our young couples that want to buy a house. Now, is buying a house a good thing? Absolutely, it's good buying a house. But have they really thought it through? Because house prices around this area in Sydney, man, they're a lot of money. And, and young people, young married people can have this dream to buy this house and they save up all this money to, to, to put down the deposit and there's this big celebration in buying the house. But I wonder if they thought about the loan for the next 30 years and how big that loan is and how much pain that's going to cause them having to pay this loan off 
over the next 30 years. I wonder if they've thought about the big picture. You know, you hear young mums or young women say, I just want to have a baby. I just want a baby to cuddle it and, and the dream of having a baby. And a baby's good? Yes. A kid's great? Yes. I'm enjoying my kids, I think, in this stage of life more than I ever have, Aiden and Joel. You guys are incredible kids. I'm enjoying you more than I ever have. Me and Joel wrestle. And before I went away, he beat me twice in uh, wrestling. I don't know how that happened. Maybe I'm getting weaker or he's getting stronger. I really love kids, but, but there's a big picture, isn't there? There's the nappy changing, twins. There's the sleepless nights. There's the colds. And Michelle's home now. Hi, Michelle, you're watching online. Because um, Alicia's got, I think it's croup. Is that what you call it? And it's apparently contagious. So she stayed home. Thanks for staying home. And, everyone, and all the parents say, thanks for staying home. And there's all that. And there's the cost. You know, I looked up how much does it cost to raise a kid from zero to 18 years. And a study last year said, if you do it on the cheap, if you, do it, if you raise a kid on the cheap from zero to 18 years in, in Sydney, Australia, it will cost you $160,000 on the cheap to raise a kid from, from zero to 18 years. That's one. Now, if you do it on the expensive, on the upper end, $550. No, $550,000 to raise a kid from zero to 18. Now, multiply that by one, by two, by three. Man, big picture. Kids are expensive. Big picture. Another thing here. What else did I write down? I just want to get married. Oh, marriage is my dream, to be with my partner lifelong. And is marriage good? Yes. yes. Hi, Michelle. It's a privilege being married to you. You're a huge blessing to me. You're my best friend watching online. But marriage, two people, two different backgrounds, two different agendas, two different directions, having to become one and trying to do life heading in the same direction, man, it can be tough. And there's disagreements and there's arguments and there's fights and there's wrestles as you go through the journey of life. See, as we look at life, we need to see the fullness and the big picture. Not just look at one side, but look at every side so that we get a true understanding of what we're getting ourselves into. And that can also be true when we're talking about becoming a Christian. You know, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, If you want to follow me, you should count the cost. You should look at the big picture and consider, do you really want to do this? He talks about a man who builds a, he builds a tower. And he says, a man doesn't just go, just go ahead and build a tower without first considering how much it's going to cost him. And a king doesn't just go to war without working out how many troops they have and how many troops the other mob have and can they win. And if they can't win, they're going to send a peace delegation to try and create peace rather than war. And so Jesus' point is, before you become my disciple... Consider the cost. And I think sometimes preachers, and I think I'm guilty of this, do an injustice to people by, by our talking to them about all the benefits of becoming a Christian without the other side of it. See, there's so many benefits of, being coming, of becoming a Christian. It means that you get God, you, you get relationship with God. You get your sin forgiven. You get eternal life. You get guilt, shame removed. You, you are open to a power source the same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead is in you and for you and miracles and signs and wonders and freedom and purpose. All the incredible stuff of having Jesus in your life. And is that true? Absolutely, that is true. But it also means coming under his lordship. And that means change. 
And some of that change you may not be that excited about, but let me tell you, as you do the journey of change, and the more than more, the more you live under his lordship, the more you recognize that is your best life. But it means change. It means going through seasons which can be difficult as God leads you to certain places that aren't necessarily that easy. And it also leads to trials and persecution. It's part of the journey of being a Christian. And this is exactly what we see when we look at 1 Thessalonians. We're in a series around 1 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians, we see that the church in Thessalonica was under immense persecution. These brand new Christians were being persecuted for their faith. And the Apostle Paul writes this letter to encourage them because of the persecution that they were, that they were experiencing. And so today I want to take you to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, just before chapter 3. And, and we're going to look at a big chunk of scripture, the whole chapter of chapter 3. And as we look at this chapter, I'm going to show you five things from this chapter. The first thing Paul says is that trials will come. The second thing he says is that Satan will tempt us to throw away our faith. This is part of being the, the, the whole Christian experience. Not only are you saved and forgiven, but trials will come. Satan will come against you. But, then he, but, but uh, then he talks about how they respond to the trials, how they respond to Satan tempting them. And he says that they stand firm, which looks like faith and love. He says standing firm encourages others. And finally, he encourages them to pray for each other and talks about the prayer that Paul prays. That's where we're headed today. Are you ready for the text? Here it is. We're going to start back a little bit to get the context from verse 17 in chapter 2. Here it is. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when, this is chapter 3, verse 1. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way as well as you, as well as you know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid in some way the tempter that Satan had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. You might have thrown away your faith. Verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. 
May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Final verse. May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. You know, it's a a full-on scripture. And as I said, there's five things. I want to look at each thing, starting with the first. Trials will come. You know, in this text, Paul starts by talking around his trials. And Paul had to leave Thessalonica because the Jews in that city wanted to kill him. He went south, down to Beria, and then Athens, and eventually Corinth, where he wrote this letter back to the Thessalonians. He was persecuted, and the the persecution continues for Paul. And Paul writes that he's concerned in verse 2. Look what it says. We're concerned for you. So we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen you and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. What are we destined for? Trials. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way as you well, no. Paul talks about trials here, and those trials are persecutions. And regularly in the New Testament, we see the early church going through trials, which looks like persecution. Christians are persecuted. Throughout the globe now, they are persecuted. If you are standing up for Jesus in your community, in your family, in your workplace, you will be persecuted. People will look down on you. People will make jokes about you. They will say horrible things. They will discard you. They will reject you. And in some countries, you'll be locked up for your faith. You'll be persecuted in a whole new way and even killed for your faith. They reckon last century, more Christians were crucified. No, not crucified. More Christians were killed for their faith than all the other centuries combined. Incredible amount of persecution that's happening in, in the world today. Why do people persecute Christians? Aren't Christians generally nice people? Aren't we caring? Don't we do like transform Cambodia and do stuff in schools and put on community dinners for people? Why are, why are Christians persecuted? It's because of our message. Our message is confronting. Our message is offensive to people. Our message is this. God loves you. That's nice, isn't it? That's not so bad. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to rescue you. Why do you need rescuing? Because you're a sinner. Oh, I'm a sinner, am I? Yeah. Because of your sin, God is angry with you. God's angry with me. And one day God is going to judge you for your wrongdoing. And if you don't accept him, there is eternal death. Whoa. You mean to say, I haven't got it all together? You mean to say I'm not in charge of my own life? You mean someone else is going to hold me account? You're saying there's someone bigger than me who I should be accountable to? That's why they take offense. But the reason God sent Jesus is to save you and to love you and to rescue you. That's the good news. We are sinners saved by his grace. And that message is offensive to people. And it's not just the people treat us poorly now. They treated them poorly in the first century. In Thessalonica, I've shared this before, as Paul left, they, they are grabbed Jason, the Acts 17 talks about. These Christians who have been Christians for just a matter of weeks and months, they're locked up in prison. They have to pay their own money to get out of prison. They are, they are threatened with treason. 
because they are declaring there's another king, king, a king called Jesus, other than Caesar. And that persecution continued as they were rejected by their community, by the Jews in that town, rejected them. And if you, look, if you read 2 Thessalonians, some written a few years later, they're still being persecuted for their faith. And it wasn't just Paul, it wasn't just the Thessalonians, it was Thessalonians, it was Christians at the time. In Hebrews, we read this, Hebrews 10.32, remember those earlier days after you'd received the light, when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you, that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. And that little last phrase, you knew because you knew that yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Friends, that is the reality. Even though persecution may come, the trial may come, the people may treat you poorly. The reality is that your treasure of what is to come in eternity far outweighs anything that you could go through in this life. Knowing Jesus is so much better than any difficulty that you could go through in this life. Knowing him, knowing forgiveness, knowing your identity in Christ, knowing that you're forgiven, knowing that you have a hope, far outweighs any trial or difficulty in this life. And through trials and persecution, we are called to stand firm because of what Jesus has done for us. And that is so much better than any persecution we can have today. So are you being persecuted currently? Are you currently being persecuted for your faith? I hope you are. Because if you are, it means that you're standing up for Jesus. You're proclaiming that you belong to him, that I'm a Christian and I'm proud of it. I'm shining his light. I'm not Bible bashing people, but I'm proclaiming his love. And if you do that, you will be persecuted. And if you're not being persecuted, I wonder, are you standing? Are you shining? Are you shining his light? Are you proclaiming the message? Because if you are, you will attract the persecution. That's number one. Trials will come. Number two. Paul says very, which is super encouraging as well, Satan will tempt us to throw away our faith. Look what Paul writes here in verse 5. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors may have been in vain. Satan is a tempter there. And Paul is concerned that Satan has come to tempt these new Christians to throw away their faith. You know, Jesus describes Satan as the one who, John 10, 10, kills, steals, and destroys. That's his intent, to kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't want you following God. He wants to stop you. And so he tries to oppress you, to try to put demonic spirit, to hold you down, to squash you. He sends negative thoughts into your mind. He sends sickness. He sends disease. He's a bad dude. He's going to do everything that he can to pull you away. Now, it doesn't tell us how he does that. Paul doesn't say how Satan was doing that. But one of Satan's main tools are people. There's this really interesting verse in Ephesians chapter 2, which makes a lot of sense. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of 
of the kingdom of the air, that's Satan. The ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's Satan. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So this scripture teaches us very clearly that Satan is in the, working in the lives of those who are not yet Christians. He's working in their lives. And Satan is using them to achieve his purpose. And so the scripture says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spirit in the spirit realm, where Satan is working and influencing and changing and directing people to come against us and come against God's kingdom. And as a result, we need to be in prayer. And we'd be praying into the spirit realm that God would bind the work of the enemy, that Satan's hands would be loosed and released from people and God would move by his spirit and in power to see his kingdom come. With all that Satan is doing to the Thessalonians, to, Thess- keep saying Thessalonians, to the Thessalonians, how did they respond? How did they respond? Well, we see how they responded here in verse 7 and 8. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we're encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. That's how they're responding. They are standing firm even though persecution's coming. Even though Satan's coming against them, they are standing firm in the Lord. And what does it mean to and what does it look like to stand firm? Paul tells us it looks like faith in action and love in action. That's what it looks like to stand firm, to continue to trust God, to follow him, to to rely upon him in every area of your life and to continue to love others. You know, when the persecution comes, when Satan comes, when the difficulties come, it's easy to pull back. It's easy to hide from others. But but these believers in Thessalonica weren't doing that. They were standing firm, continuing to trust God in every season of life, and they were continuing to love others. Look what it says in verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and about your love. Paul says, I know you're standing firm because of your faith and your love. And you know what faith and love does? As you stand firm, you know what faith and love does? Verse 7, therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged because of your faith. You know what faith and love does? Standing firm, it encourages others. When you stand firm in your faith, it encourages others. You know, there's something beautiful about getting together with other Christians. When you're with other Christians, and you're not just talking about the weather or the sharks losing the footy last night and they played really poorly, whatever. They're just worldly conversations. And it's okay to have those conversations. But when we talk about the Lord and we talk about what God's done in our lives and the testimony of God and the breakthrough and the healing and his deliverance and that he has our refuge and he's our strength, you know what that does? It encourages us and stirs us to keep on going. Karen's here today. And Karen, you've been through the last two years. It's been a really horrible season in your life. But let me say, you've stood firm in this season. You've continued to have faith in God and continue to have love for others. And you know what that's done to me? It's encouraged me to stand firm. Even though you went through that horrible season and you're still in that difficult season, you stood firm and that encouraged me to stand firm in my difficult seasons. And as we hear the testimonies of others, and they're standing firm through difficulties of life, it encourages others. You know, one of my favorite books is this, Living a Life of Fire. It's my favorite book, Reinhard Bonnke. 
And every time I read it, I weep as this man talks about going to Africa and preaching the message of Jesus and all the trials and troubles he had and so many difficulties of tents ripping open and storms coming and not being able to do this and the, and the, and the death of people in, in truck accidents. But yet he continued to stood, stand firm and preach the message of Jesus and fulfill the calling God had for his life. You know what it does for me? It encourages me to stand firm. And keep on going. And don't allow the situations of life to rock me or change my opinion. But keep on going because of God's faithfulness in someone else's life. Coming out of this COVID season, I've realized that people are coming to church less. And our church has grown over the last few years, but people are coming to church less regularly. And if you're watching this online or you're in the room, let me encourage you to be in church weekly, to connect online. And let me encourage you, when you're connecting online, to connect not just by watching our services, but take your next step. And Andrew, our service pastor, our online service pastor, talks about that. He talks about making connections through our chats, making through connections through online life group. Because it's good to be preached too, but when we're in community and when we're hearing stories of other Christians, man, it encourages us at a whole new level. I encourage you to get to church weekly. Get in a life group fortnightly where you can be in community with people who love you, who support you. You can share openly and you can hear the stories of God's faithfulness in another person's life. And as you do that, you will be encouraged. And the final thing we see in this text is that Paul prays for them. Why does he pray? Man, they're going through a tough time. They're new Christians. There's there's many, many reasons. But we see that Paul prays for them, and we see five things that he prays. The first thing is in verse 9. How can we thank God enough? He thanks God for the Thessalonians. They became a Christian because of the move of God in their lives. And we need to be thanking God for the other believers that are sitting next to you, the other believers that you know about in your life group. Thank God for them. Verse 10. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we will see you again, that he wants to see them again. He wants to be with them. And the third thing, that he, will, that he may supply what is lacking in their faith. Paul wants them to grow. He thanks God for them, wants to be with them, wants them to grow. He says it again in verse 11. He prays that he would be able to come to them, to encourage them. Next verse. May the Lord, may the Lord make your love increase and flow for each other. He prays that their love for each other would increase, that they would have, as you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, their love for each other would increase. And finally, that he may, God may strengthen your hearts so that you may be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father, that, they, that, that you may be strengthened, that you may continue the life and live a life that pleases him. In summary, pray for each other five things. Thank God for them, that they would grow that they would be together, that their love will increase, and finally, that they would be strengthened. I wonder if you, if you pray these things for your believers that you care about, do you pray these things for the people you're sitting next to? Do you pray these things for your life group, for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Paul shows us how we should pray. Paul prays because of the difficulties that early church was going through. And we need to pray because the Christian life, friends, is tough. 
Following Jesus today in Australia in the 21st century is tough and it's getting, and it's getting tougher as, the world, as our worldview changes, as people's priorities and what they say that is okay changes. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be praying that we will stand firm when persecution comes, when you're rejected by your family and friends because of your faith, when you look down on in the workplace because of your choice to follow Jesus, when you're not given the promotion, when you're not given the opportunity because your boss knows you're a Christian and they don't like Christians, when your family treats you differently because you're a Christian, when those in the school, those in the universities look down on Christianity, bag it out, talk about it's out of date, it's meaningless, it's old school, it doesn't work. As all those things are said, we need to pray for each other that we would stand firm, that we will recognize that trials will come, that we will work out that Satan is against us. But in all that, we would stand firm, and by standing firm with love and faith, that that will encourage others to stand firm as well. You know, in this message, Paul says that trials will come. We need to pray for each other that we would stand firm in trials. Number two, that Satan will try to encourage you to throw away your faith. We need to pray that, that, that God's kingdom will come. And, the, and, and in the Lord's Prayer, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm trying to get to that part. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the work of the enemy. Protect us from his work. Number three. We pray that people would stand firm in faith and love and that by standing firm, it would encourage others. And finally, Paul says, let's pray for each other that all these things can happen. As we come to the end of this message, I want to say this, this our final thing. As we look at the Christian life, we need to see all the benefits, but all the difficulties that go with it. The benefits of forgiveness of sin. The benefits of relationship with God. The benefits of eternal life. But we also should see that it means coming under his lordship and living his way, not our way. It looks like trials will come. That Satan will try and throw us off our faith. That the Christian, excuse me, that the Christian life can be difficult. And you can go through difficult seasons even as a Christian. But what we have in Jesus far outweighs, far outweighs any difficulty that we can have now on this earth. Knowing him as Savior, knowing him as Lord, knowing that our eternal life is before us, that is so much greater than anything that we go through on this earth. So let's be people who stand firm, continue to be people of faith, Continue to be people of love. And then on that day when he returns, we will be with him forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this message from 1 Thessalonians 3. We thank you that your word teaches us that trials will come, that Satan is against us, but you want us to stand firm. And Father, I pray. I pray, Lord, that you would would, uh, move in our lives that we will be people who stand firm, 
in faith, that we'll be people who continue to love others. As we do that, others will be encouraged by our faith. Help us to be a church, God, that prays for one another, that prays your best over other people's lives. Father, we pray that we will be a body who proclaims the name of Jesus, that recognizes the wonder that we have in you, the benefits of being part of the kingdom, that we people that are reminded about eternal life, our sin forgiven, the new identity, all that we have here, and that when trials come, we will stand firm because of, what, because of who you are, God, and because of all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you're watching online, thanks for being part of us. We're going to say goodbye to you now. God bless you. Thanks so much for checking out this message. LifeGate Church has people meeting in person and online in many different locations, and we'd love to help you get connected. My name's Andrew, and I lead our online team here at LifeGate Church, and it's our job to do exactly that. We'd love to help you find community, get support and prayer, and take your next step. So why don't you connect with us and take your next step at lifegate.org.au and click the next step button.